Welcome back to the Parbar Podcast, the most popular podcast in the history of the world. We are jumping into our church history lesson number 11, and I plan on just going right through these church history lessons uh, so that way I can keep them up weekly, uh, not only just for our Fairhaven's Homeschool Co-op, but also for you listeners. Uh, There are other topics that I'd like to get to on the podcast. However, I I feel the need to keep people caught up with where we're at in our schooling. So just bear with it. If you don't like these church history podcasts, just wait for something else to drop. And sooner or later, it will. But church history, here we are again. And we're talking this on this episode about the rise of false gospels that came up into the church. And I don't mean like a false gospel and that a false proclamation of a gospel, but the false gospels as in the the written accounts of the life of Jesus. So some of you may know these if you've been around any Christian schools or higher academics, things like the infancy gospels or the gospel of Thomas, things like that. In some of these narratives, for example, in one of these infancy gospels that tell about, well, if you've noticed in the in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is born, and then he's 30 years old. <laughs> the, the, the gospel writers skip three decades of Jesus' life, except for Luke, who has Jesus in one scene when he's 12 years old in the temple. So people try to fill in the gaps. What what happened when Jesus was a child, when he was a little boy running around? And so they, they make some things up. Here's one example. Uh, there was when Jesus was a boy, there was another little Israelite boy, and they got into an argument, and the boy threw a rock at Jesus, and Jesus struck him dead. May your life leave you. And the boy fell over dead. Because this this is something a, a six-year-old Jesus would do, right? And the people in the village that Jesus was living in reacted and exiled him and his family, Mary and Joseph, from the town. Uh, a more popular one that you might have heard of is when Jesus was a little boy, he was making clay birds, clay sparrows down by the river on the Sabbath day. And he he was, Joseph told him that that counts as working. You can't sit down by the Sabbath in the clay making little birds. And so Jesus spoke to the clay birds. These clay birds came alive and they flew away. And see there, now Jesus wasn't breaking the traditions of the Pharisees. Um, there's another one when Jesus was eight, he was walk, he walked into a den of lions and they, all the lions in the den bowed down to worship him. Um, another one was that Joseph, you know, as a carpenter, Joseph was a carpenter, uh, and Jesus was helping him on a job and Joseph cut a board too short. And so little boy, Jesus came over and grabbed both ends of the board and stretched it to fit. <laughs> he just took each end, one in each hand, and pulled and stretched the board to fit the required need for his father. Now, that would actually come in handy for some of us who don't measure twice and cut once. We usually measure once and cut twice. But alas, these are all made up stories. And there are, there are many, many more written. Um, and this is what we would call today like fan fiction, you know, 
if a little boy, if a young boy in the church really liked Spider-Man and he started writing his own Spider-Man stories, these, um, it's just fan fiction. They're just coming up with fairy tales. And, but there were so many of these stories being told about Jesus, being written down and handed out and in churches. Um, and all these things never happened. And people in the church were confused about what to do, which is right. Which books about Jesus are scripture? Which ones are fake? Uh, the first accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of course, are historic accounts, historic record. And folk began to fill in the gaps uh, about a century after the four gospels were written with all these legends about Jesus. And the church from the beginning had accepted the four Gospels as part of Scripture. And now some of the leaders of the church needed to get together and put a stop to these false stories about Jesus. They were written 100, 150 years after Jesus ascended into heaven. The Gospel of Thomas is probably the most popular, and it tells all these made-up stories of Jesus' childhood. There's the Proto-Evangelion of Jacob, which tells made-up stories of the life of Mary. Uh, there's the gospel according to the Hebrews, the gospel according to Peter, which in the gospel according to Peter, Jesus is not a man, and he didn't die. It's clearly in contradiction to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, the gospel of pseudo-Matthew, or false Matthew, or the second Matthew. Um, in, that, in, that story, in the gospel of pseudo-Matthew, you read when Jesus is walking down the road, the palm trees that line the road bow to him. There ended up being around 50 of these Gospels, false Gospels, numerous different accounts of the Acts of the Apostles, even multiple uh, editions and renditions of the Lord's Prayer, I'm sorry, Lord's Prayer, all floating around the Roman Empire. And if you remember, uh, Tatian wrote something called the Diatessaron around 170 AD, trying to bring order uh, to the church by bringing the four Gospels together in one book. He wrote the Diatessaron, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in one volume. But what the church needed was one book, one holistic canon of Scripture. Bishop Papias collected all the writings connected with the Apostles directly in his collection, so all of the letters historically from Paul, Peter, John, so on. Around the year 200 AD, the books of the Bible were cataloged, and this document is called the Miratorian Canon. But people still argued about which writings the Holy Spirit wanted the church to have, which books were actually the Word of God. The leaders of the church knew they needed the Holy Spirit to help them. The canon of Scripture would come together in the middle. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that like, the, the Roman Empire is persecuting the church, and what the church is worried about is putting together the, <laughs> the canon of Scripture? And in this persecution, the church puts together the canon. By the second century, churches were growing all over in the city of Rome, Antioch, Edessa, Alexandria, all the way over in Persia, Parthia. Church buildings were so common in the third century that the Roman emperors would write decrees to actually destroy Christian buildings. The church had gone all the way up into Spain and Britain. Tertullian writes about how Christians were filling up the Roman Empire so much so that Christians uh, became their own kingdom of people living within the Roman Empire. And all God's people said, Amen. Uh, Tertullian writes, We appeared only yesterday, but now we fill your cities and your homes, your squares, your municipalities, the councils, the tribunes, the, 
the tribunes, the decuaries, the palace, the senate, the forum. We have left you left nothing save your temples. Should we secede from you, you would be terrified by your own loneliness. And that's just great uh, to write something like that, uh, an open letter to the Roman Empire in the midst of persecution. Uh, in other words, Tertullian is telling Rome, you don't know what you're messing with. Now, how did this growth of the church in the Roman Empire happen? And Jesus went up into heaven, he sat down at the right hand of the Father, and he poured out his spirit on 12 men uh, on the Mount of Olives. And he told them to make nations of the world, to make the nations of the world Christian. Then the Jews and the Romans started persecuting the church. So just immediately there in the book of Acts, the Jews began persecuting the church uh, after the fall of the temple in Jerusalem. In 70 AD, Rome picked up the persecution of the church. So how, how did she continue to grow? Well, as yeast in a lump of dough, just like Jesus said, quiet, unnoticed, but eventually taking over the whole thing. The Roman Empire, which seemed so powerful, was coming down, and the church, which seems which seemed so weak, continued to grow and grow and grow. Uh, the gods and the powers of the Roman Empire were indeed powerless to stop the Holy Spirit and the Bride of Christ. Citizens of Rome began to see the church as the place of hope and of joy and of life. They noticed that in the church, people were treated well. They were loved by one another. And despite all opposition, Christians had happiness. People want a way out from violence. They want a way out of sadness. People in Rome wanted to get away from the angry gods. But with Jesus and the church, they found a king. They found a king who was willing to love them and save them. A king who was willing to tell them how to live, not just for his, not for his glory, but for their own good. With Jesus and his word and his people, the citizens of Rome found truth, goodness, and beauty. These are the things that changed the Roman Empire. Truth, goodness, and beauty. When they came to Jesus, they no longer feared death. They no longer feared the pagan gods. They no longer feared magic from witches and wizards. They no longer feared the dark. All the love and faith and hospitality uh, would be needed because in the year 250 AD, the most severe persecution of the church would come from Emperor Decius. His goal was to remove every last Christian from the face of the earth, to leave not one of our fathers and mothers alive in his empire. And the question, of course, is will the church survive such a persecution as this. Here they are in the midst of all this turmoil, putting together the Bible, building churches, making disciples, and what's about to befall them is the worst thing the church has ever seen. Well, again, another, another cliffhanger to leave you on. And in the next episode of the Parbar podcast concerning church history, we will see what the church did with Emperor Decius. Thank you for listening. And I'll see you on the next one.